It's May 1985. U.S. and Soviet diplomats are working through the night to arrange a meeting between President Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev, who has just become the leader of the Soviet Communist Party. After decades of Cold War, the future looks like it might be a little lighter. Wham! has just become the first Western band to perform in China. In the US, the opening line of the number one song in the charts is Hey, 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 hey! With Simple Minds, Don't You Forget About Me propelled to number one when it's featured in a hit movie about that most profound of subjects, some school kids in detention. Posters for the Goonies are everywhere, too. Norway wins Eurovision with a band called Bobby Socks. Sidney Sheldon and Daniel Steele sit atop the New York Times bestseller list. On May 16th, Michael Jordan is named NBA Rookie of the Year, and three British scientists publish a paper announcing they've discovered a hole in the sky over Antarctica. Back to the good old days. The accelerating rate of man's progress. For this is the age of industrial chemistry. As we have progressed as a people, we have taken liberally of our Earth's resources. Scientists have discovered a trend. Each spring, over Antarctica, a hole in the ozone develops. Do you think these chlorofluorocarbons are causing this depletion? They said, oh, it has to be wrong. It has to be wrong. We are passing on extremely grave problems for our children when the time to solve the problems, if they can be solved at all, is now. Have you ever heard of the ozone hole? If you were born after the 1990s, the chances are you might not have. But just before the turn of the century, it was on everybody's lips. The biggest environmental disaster humanity had encountered up to that point. In our new season, Ozone, How to Solve an Environmental Crisis, we'll tell you all about what caused the ozone hole, how it was discovered, and how the world came together to fix it. We'll also show you how the lessons learned then can help us in solving the climate crisis today. This is the story of the ozone hole. No falling apples, no eureka moments. That's how the man who discovered the ozone hole explains what he did. It was a slow, painstaking process of data collection. But like most great discoveries, this one also happened by accident. Not that the people who worked on it didn't know what they were doing, but simply for the fact that they never expected to discover what they in fact uncovered. This chapter begins in 1977 a recent Cambridge University graduate who first wanted to be an astronomer, then a teacher, was mulling over his future when he saw an ad for a job. The British Antarctic Survey was looking for somebody with a background in physics, interested in the weather, and able to program in Fortran, a computer programming language used in scientific research. Jonathan Shanklin thought he ticked all the boxes, so he applied. He didn't get the job, but once the person who got it turned it down, the job was Shanklin's. Shanklin liked the job, which mostly included weather observation and data intake. 
One of his responsibilities was measuring and validating solar radiation data coming from the survey's team in the Antarctic. Even though he spent his days working on analyzing the weather in the polar region, he was based in Oxford, England. That would change soon enough, though. Disagreements about some of the measurements arose between the UK-based team and the Antarctic crew. Next thing he knew, Shanklin was being sent to the coldest continent to clear things up. He still remembers his first trip to Halley Station, a research facility in Antarctica operated by the British Antarctic Survey. So I left England in just before Christmas in 1981. I had um, Christmas in the Falkland Islands and then the voyage south, uh, seeing my first icebergs, seeing a lot of the wildlife, the, the albatrosses following the ship, um, and then reaching Halley Station. At Halley, the temperature never gets above freezing. The water is always frozen. On most trips down there, you might see one or two penguins, a few birds flying over, and that's it. There's there's no other life there. But get back onto the ship on the ocean, and then you'll see seals, you'll see whales, you'll see all the seabirds, and it's really incredibly different. Uh, and then sailing down the Antarctic Peninsula on board the ship, seeing the glaciers tumbling down to the coast, going out in a small boat and in a, a calm day hearing the snap, crackle, pop as uh, glacier ice rocks around in the water and those snap, crackle, pops are air bursting out of the ice that's been trapped perhaps for thousands of years in the glacier. Before leaving for Antarctica, he noticed something in the data that didn't make any sense. The level of ozone in the atmosphere above the Antarctic was dropping. The, the people in the Antarctic were saying uh, the readings are falling off the graph that we're using. And at that time, they were using a, a graph to look up values rather than a computer program, because this was the very early days of computers in scientific use at any rate. Shanklin was an avid reader of scientific journals, so he had heard of theories that the ozone was being damaged by Concord exhaust gases and chemical compounds, chlorofluorocarbons, better known as CFCs. But there had never been any research to suggest that the damage to the layer would happen in the world's southernmost region. He and two colleagues, Joe Farmer and Brian Gardner, started to work out whether the ozone layer was changing. Why were scientists so interested in the ozone to begin with? After all, ozone is just a trace gas in the atmosphere, accounting for only three molecules out of each 10 million molecules of air. In fact, it's crucial for life on Earth. Ozone's simple molecules, made of only three atoms of oxygen, make up the ozone layer, which is located between 15 and 35 kilometers above the planet's surface. This layer protects the Earth from the sun's harmful radiation. Even though we need some of this radiation, too much of it can damage living things. The ozone layer absorbs 98% of the dangerous ultraviolet radiation from the sun, basically serving as the planet's sunscreen and making life on Earth possible. The British Antarctic Survey has been measuring ozone levels since 1957. Their scientists were hoping to track long-term trends but they assumed it would be tough to spot any major changes within just a couple of decades. 
Unfortunately, they were wrong. And so I thought, well, I'll analyze this year's data as that I was working backwards in time. And I'll compare that with what my boss had done 10 years previously. And the values will be the same. And people don't need to worry about using Concord or spray cans or anything like that, which were thought to be going to damage the ozone layer. And the trouble was when I graphed things up, they weren't the same in the Antarctic spring. Joe Farman, the boss, said, oh, don't worry about it this year. Um, very often depends entirely how uh, the winter starts to, to transpire in the Antarctic. Next year, it'll be back to normal. Well, it wasn't back to ne normal the next year. And then I worked back through the, the, the missing data and was able to demonstrate that it was a systematic change, that by and large, each Antarctic spring, we were seeing ozone levels that were lower than the previous one. Some ozone depletion during the Southern Hemisphere spring, which occurs between October and December, could be expected due to specific meteorological and chemical conditions that exist in Antarctica and nowhere else, such as very low winter temperatures. But the numbers were showing a significant difference. What Shanklin discovered was that the October levels of ozone had dropped by about 50% in less than a decade. Something was very wrong. You can listen to the rest of the episode when it goes live in just a matter of days. The first episode is out on Tuesday, October the 3rd. After that, we'll be dropping a new episode every Tuesday. Subscribe to Climate Solutions so you don't miss any of it.